Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Right, good morning, everybody. How are you? You're very quiet this morning. Do you know that? I don't know if it's the winter air or whatever it is, but... uh, just, just on the School of Evangelism on the 14th of July, if that's, yes, it was the 14th, hey. Charles Stock is coming out. We, we are super privileged to have this guy with us. He's on his way to Heidi Baker's Harvest School, flying out from the States from Harrisburg. He is a pastor of a church of huge significance in Harrisburg, uh, Pennsylvania, and he's coming out to be with, with, with Heidi Baker. And he has asked via Richie, who we know, if he can stop off a minister here on the way. So, yeah, okay. We'll, we'll let him. He's, he pastors the church that Randy Clark is part of, if, if that makes sense. So just let me give you some context. So he will be here on Sunday the 15th with us. Really looking forward to that. But on the Saturday morning, Richie is the fiery evangelist. He's going to work with, he's, he's a kind of a Todd White figure. So he's going to be working with us on the Saturday morning. So please come and enjoy that. Uh, Lorraine mentioned we've been at a conference this week down, down at Harvest and Schlenger. Um, it's been an amazing time. I just want to tell you one testimony. Uh, the first, first evening we were there, they... Uh, really felt just to release a word for healing of Asperger's and autism. Just as a a kind of a spectrum of difficulties that many kids go through. If you know what autism is, it's extreme withdrawal, frustration, antisocial behavior. And with Asperger's, it comes out with a a very aggressive verbal expression as well. And it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing for parents to cope with, let alone the kids themselves. Um, but they, they really felt to release this word just for healing of this. Um, Eric Johnson was, was there and in Bethel, they've seen a whole lot of fruit in this area. So one of the ladies who was there at this meeting had has a 17-year-old daughter with Asperger's who is so violent that her 24-year-old older brother is scared to babysit her. I mean, is he, he is stressed out at the thought of being left alone with this girl. So, and she has never done anything for herself, this 17-year-old girl. So mother was there at the meeting. Um, and I can't remember quite all the timing of this thing, but the next day she gets a call, phone call from her daughter, which is amazing in itself, saying, tell me how to use the washing machine. I want to use the washing machine. And it's like, you what? You know, this, this is bizarre. And, and so she explains how to do it. And even that is a miracle because normally explanation has to be repeated a hundred times with exact details and that's, that's the nature of autism. There's nothing, there's no interpolation. You've got to specify it all the way. So she explained and the daughter was cool with this. Then the mother's going to go home and she's terrified of what she's going to find. A, it's going to be a broken washing machine out of sheer frustration that it didn't work the way she was expecting, and B, the house to be flooded. She gets home and everything is calm. She goes into her bedroom, her own... The, the, the washing is on the line, hung up. 
neatly, which is amazing. She goes into her bedroom where her daughter's been sleeping in her bed. The bed is made. This 17-year-old has never made a bed in her life. And this bed has been made. And she says, look, mum, she opens her cupboard and all the mother's clothes are, have been neatly hung up and folded in the cupboard there. The last time she said she tried to teach her daughter to fold a t-shirt, she ended up destroying a cupboard door. She was so frustrated with the experience. So she says to her, to the older brother, she says, well, how's it been? And he says, she's been like normal. And, and this woman is weeping giving this testimony. I mean, this, this, if, if you have any experience of autistic kids, this was a miracle of huge, huge proportions. There's another testimony of a girl also not present in the meeting up in Zululand. The person there had prayed for them, this little, in an orphanage. Five-year-old Five autistic girl had never said a word in her life. And that day, for the first time, said, Sobono Njani. And that was, it was like, wow, what is, what is happening here? So if, if you need faith in that area, just, just receive something this morning. Even through the test, the testimony is the power that God can do this again. So if you have relatives struggling through those issues, just, just receive something of the amazing power of God. I spoke two weeks ago about a community of freedom. If you were here, remember we said that the gospel is a gospel of freedom. So it is, it is about if the sun shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. It is for freedom's sake Christ has set you free. It's, it is you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. It is the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach freedom to the captives. And we said, therefore, because the gospel is a gospel of freedom, we have to build a community of freedom, not a community of control. And, and church culture in South Africa has always been built around a significant measure of control. You've got to keep control of the over people otherwise they'll get into trouble the gospel is a gospel of empowerment it's a gospel of freedom and therefore the culture that we build is a little bit countercultural. it's a little bit out of the ordinary and if you want to know more about that please go listen again to what we spoke about two weeks ago but there is another half another side to the story that freedom is is does not stand is not sustained by itself. And, and, and the answer to freedom is not to balance it with a little bit of control. You know, that's, that's kind of what we'd like to do, isn't it? We just bring in a little, just enough, just to keep it safe. You know, God, God is an unsafe God. He gives us more freedom than is good for us. But the balancing truth against freedom is responsibility. What makes freedom sustainable is responsibility. And that's really what I want to talk about today. A culture of freedom without a culture of responsibility ends up in the gutter. All right, can I say that again? A culture of freedom without a culture of responsibility ends up in the gutter. So the prodigal son, 
has this amazing freedom given to him. He has more money than he knows what to do with, and he is released from his father's home. He gets to leave home, and now he can live out his dreams. And here he is with all the freedom in the world and zero responsibility, and the story does not end well, at least in the short term. Because as you know, he spends all his money and he ends up feeding pigs and it looks really, really bad. That is freedom without the responsibility that goes with it. Every, every young person leaving home, young people here, who's, who has left home recently? It's an amazing expectation of freedom. You know, I, I feel so cramped in this place. You know, there's mum and dad there and I cannot wait to get out of this place to spread my wings and just be myself and live my life. And what every young person taking that step discovers, what do they discover? This horrendous thing called responsibility. You know, I have to do my own laundry. Goodness me. And I have to go shopping for my own food and I've got to pay my own bills and oh my goodness me, can I come back home again? Because actually, I will gladly trade in that freedom. Anybody had someone come home again? You know, this, this freedom is just too much. I can't handle it. I can't cope with the responsibility that comes with it. Just take my freedom away, please. I just want to be back. And, and really, that's, that's what the prodigal son said, wasn't it? Actually, this freedom has killed me. I want to be a hired hand. A hired hand is not a free, liberated role. Take, I can't cope with this freedom. Just put me back into servitude. I can't cope with the freedom of being our own people out here in the desert. Let's go back to Egypt because it's easier to cope with that thing. But the gospel is a gospel of freedom. And, and you know, responsibility, who, who finds the word responsibility exciting? Who does something of joy rise up inside of you at that word? Think, wow, this is going to be an inspiring message. You know, this is just what I wanted to hear. Okay, someone over there, is that right? Responsibility. <laughs> you missed the responsibility, that's good. But, 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 and I kind of get that because we, we go to work and we spend our whole week having responsibility for things lumped upon us. Call, being called to give an account for things probably over which we have no control. You know, the sales are down. What have you got to say? Well, it's nothing to do with me, actually. But no, I'm holding you responsible for that. So we, we live, we, we get paid to shoulder responsibility for things that aren't always easy to deal with. And then we leave work and we come home and the kids are climbing up the walls. And guess what? Guess whose responsibility it is to sort that out? You know, that's, that, that's my job. I have to do that. And then, then you know, the, the garden wall has fallen down and, and whatever. And I've got to grab a hold of this. So I get to church on Sunday. And I'm really, really happy to have zero responsibility for anything. 
You know, I'm very glad that someone else can take responsibility for stuff. I get that. I totally get that. I've been at this conference all week or three days or whatever, and I had no responsibility for the ministry. I had no responsibility for the organization. I had no responsibility for anything. All I had to do was sit there and smile and enjoy. And it was, it was beautiful. But a culture of freedom is not sustained unless we learn what it is to take some responsibility. So John chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, I want to read a story. This, this is a good message today. It's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily an easy message, but it's a good one. John chapter 6. It says, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. I love that. Jesus did signs on the sick. <laughs> Don't you love the compassion of that? Yeah. Jesus did... Anyway, never mind. I think it's really cool. Are you sick? Can I do a sign on you? It's like a, there we go. So Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. What's the significance of that? The Passover is the deliverance of Israel, three million people out of Egypt into the promise of their inheritance. And here is Jesus with this great crowd who are following after him. So in the background is the feast of the Passover, this, this mass deliverance of God's people. So Jesus... Lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Can you hear responsibility? Okay, so Philip, what are we going to do? Speak, Philip. And, but I can just see all the other disciples saying, Yes, Philip, what are we going to do, Philip? Because it's that moment. It's that moment when Philip had been trying to blend in with the crowd, looking inconspicuous, and Jesus says, so Philip, what are we going to do? And Philip waffles. Jesus said this to him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. And you say, not enough. Not enough. Not enough. Is that the word, Rory? Not enough. That's the word. We have, on this house, an apostolic calling to feed nations. And we're living under the cloud of not enough. And something has to break. And that's kind of what this morning is about. It's about breaking that word, not enough. Gary is with his team in Swaziland. How, how many have got saved so far? 600. 600 people got saved this last week. Woo! Wow. I mean, I, I need to hear the details of that. Any advance on that? Any? 
It'll come through. News is coming through. John has it. What? 750 as of yesterday. This, this, is, this is huge. This is, this is not, okay, that's nice. This is something of the mandate that God has given us. Not exclusively us, but it's part of something that God has entrusted to us. And we live under the cloud of not enough. So the story carries on. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And then the next paragraph, Jesus walks on the water, which is an Stunning story in itself, and he walked back across to the to the Galilee, to the Nazareth side of the lake, Capernaum, that side. Um, and the crowd get confused because they don't know how he got there. There's a long conversation. Where are the boats? How did you get here? And so on. Uh, verse 25 says, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus, true to fashion, does not answer their question. But he says, truly, truly, I say to you that you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, and this is the point of today, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. See, worldly responsibility is about performance. It's about delivering the goods. It's about achieving the sales figures it's about calming the kids down. It is about taking charge of the situation. It is about achievements. It's, it's about all those things. And, and that's what worldly responsibility looks like. That's why it is a heavy thing. Kingdom responsibility, Jesus says, looks different. They're saying to Jesus, what, what, what's expected of us? You know, we understand the law, we understand what the law expects of us, but what, what do you say? What do you expect of us? And Jesus said, this is what you have to do to be doing the works of the Father, and that is to believe in the Son whom he has sent. And the responsibility that sits upon our shoulders takes the form of faith. That, that is the responsibility that is yours. That's the responsibility that is mine. 
You see, the, 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 the younger brother had no responsibility. The older brother had a worldly responsibility because he saw it in terms of meticulous obedience to the Father's command. He says, I've, I've, I have done everything you commanded me. But what he lacked was faith towards his father. He didn't see his father as a gracious, generous, providing, loving father. He saw him as a hard taskmaster. And, and the responsibility required of us is a faith responsibility. It's, it's, it's to exercise faith and to believe in him. There is a scorecard in heaven which has your name on it. Did you know that? It says Lorraine Ben. And there's a whole column, big space underneath. And, and, and the scoring that goes on your scorecard is not about how many souls have you led to the Lord, although 750 is glorious. It's not about how much money have you given. It's not about how regularly did you go to church. It's not about how many sick people did you heal. It's not about any of those things. It is all about how much faith did you exercise. That's what Scripture says. Did you know that? This is what you must do to be doing the works of the Father is to believe in him whom he sent. So Hebrews 11 is this long catalogue of heroes of the faith. And it kind of wraps it up in verse 39. And it says, all these were commended for their faith. The authorised version says, all these obtained a good report because of their faith. So it's like it's end of term. Okay, Abraham, here's your report. Isaac, here's your report. David, here's your report. Jeremiah, here's your report. It says they obtained a good report because of their faith. Is this all right? You're looking stunned at me. This is the work that is required of us. So the responsibility we have, we express in terms of faith. That is what's required of us. We are responsible for the anointing that we have received. We need to exercise faith towards the deposit of God upon our lives. What have we done with that deposit? What does that look like? Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to Nazareth and he goes into the synagogue and they read or he reads from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Those are most amazing words. The Spirit of the Lord God, is here is the, the messianic prophecy of Isaiah. And Jesus stands there and says, I'm the one. This is it, right here, right now. Not next week or the week after, right here, right now, in this place. What does it take to stand up and say, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me? You know, we have a, a false humility which shrinks back from saying that kind of thing, but actually, if we're honest, is a disguise for unbelief. Because we don't actually believe that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. We're happy to believe the Spirit of the Lord is on Graham or on Daphne or on Carol or whoever else, but the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me. There is power from heaven on me. So Acts chapter 3, James, Peter and, and John going up to the temple. They see the cripple in the gate, beautiful. And can you remember the first thing they say? Eh? Before silver and gold, we all know that line. Look at us. Look at us. Okay, we've got this. Okay, we can do this. Look at us. As the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's kind of scary words, though, isn't they? Look at me. <laughs> we don't do that. Look at Jesus. No, no, no. Look at me. Because the Spirit of the Lord, we are responsible for the anointing that He has put upon us. I've got this. I can do this. Not I, but him in me, but I've got this. I was looking through some prophetic words, good thing to do every now and then, the other day, and I picked up a prophetic word from Keith Ferranti. Do you remember Keith Ferranti? He's the kind of the, the prophet with the wobbly head. He was here in 2014. He was in our school of ministry, and I was reading again through his prophetic word, and one of the things he gave, he spoke over me, he said, Richard, you have a breaker anointing. And at the time I thought, well, that's, that's a good word. I'll have, I'll have that one. That sounds cool. And as I was kind of reading through this prophetic word, I felt the Lord say to me, so Richard, how is that working for you? <laughs> no, it wasn't Danny Silk. It really sometimes God speaks like Danny Silk to me. You know, it's kind of how it works. How's that working for you? And I said, Well, to be honest, I feel like I'm still waiting for it. And I felt God say, No, 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 no. The word wasn't that you would receive a breaker anointing. The word was that you have a breaker anointing. So best you get out there and start breaking something. We have a responsibility for the anointing that he's put upon us. What are you doing with it? Faith looks like something. This, this, this is not about just do something for the sake of it, but this is faith towards him 
who has stepped into our lives? What am I doing with his deposit upon me? It has to look like something. You know, that, that's what James meant when he says, says, faith without works is dead. Simply means this, that if, if, if I'm saying I have faith in him, but it doesn't look like anything, then that is no faith at all. If it's a faith of passivity, then that is no faith at all. So you have an anointing to heal. I was provoked enough to go to the healing meeting yesterday morning. To find, I need to find somebody to heal, you know. I've got to do something here. Unfortunately, Ken arrived, so I was able to pray for Ken, which is great. You, you blessed me yesterday morning, Ken. That was great. But, but, but we, we, God has put his spirit upon us. Have an anointing to preach the gospel. Have an anointing to create beautiful things. Have an anointing to create wealth. Have an anointing to disciple nations. What are we doing with his deposit upon our lives? And, and we, we can be in services for the rest of our life and hear great messages about the Spirit, you know, the, 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 the Pentecost and the Spirit coming upon us. But unless that looks like something, then it's just religion, actually, at the end of the day. And we can sit and get goosebumps, but unless those goosebumps translate into something, then this is just a religious exercise. Is this good? Okay. So we're responsible for the anointing that we have received. We are responsible for the atmosphere that we carry. I felt God say this in the middle of our worship. We are responsible for the atmosphere that we carry. There is, there is a cloud around you. Did you know that? Which is the atmosphere that you carry. And we can either release that or we can allow it to be polluted by what comes in. And, and when we gather together to worship, it's, it's not about whether the band chose some good songs today or not. It's about me releasing the... It's not their job to control your atmosphere. It's my job to release the atmosphere of heaven that I carry. That's, that's what I do. And, and you can say this a thousand ways. You can talk about thermostats and thermometers and all that. You know the you know, thermostat changes the atmosphere, thermometer measures it. With thermostats, we control that atmosphere. We control that environment. In your workplace, you are responsible for the atmosphere. You can shift that atmosphere. That's what honor is about. You can bring the atmosphere of heaven into that place. In your home, you're responsible for the atmosphere. But it's by faith. You don't change the atmosphere in your home by shouting at people. Stop it! You know? How many of you know that doesn't really change the atmosphere? <laughs> Shut up! I've had enough of you. <laughs> Go to bed. Doesn't change the atmosphere. But by faith, we release heaven into our environment. Okay, we can, that's a whole other message we can get into for people who are really good at that. Someone can teach on that. Eh? We're responsible for the ministry that we have received. I was in Harry Smith last Saturday. 
got a prophetic word from a great guy, William Undy from Bulawayo, wonderful prophet of God. He gives me 2 Corinthians 4.1, direct words. Since we have received this ministry, we do not lose heart, which in his version says we do not faint. So he looked me straight in the face and he says, no fainting. <laughs> no fainting. <laughs> it was a good word. He says, you've allowed things to stop you. No fainting. Since we've received this ministry, we do not, we are responsible for the ministry that God has given to us. Even when we lose heart in the thing. Which means that we continue to sow with huge expectation. We've been doing this thing for years. No, we sow with expectation. Even when the ground is soaked in petrol, we sow with expectation. We do not lose heart. Even when it's scorched and whatever, we do not lose heart. We sow, even when we come to the healing meeting and there are 10 people ready to pray and two people arrive to be prayed for. We do not lose heart. But we sow with incredible expectation. We have a building here with a capacity of 800 to 1,000 or whatever. We sow with expectation. You know this is only half the building. Did you know that? You know we've only ever built half. This, this wall here is not load-bearing at all. So if you take all of the rest of this and you can build it all again in the car park in mirror image, that's why the car park is there. Did you know that? We sow with expectation. We do not lose heart. No fainting. This, this is a church. This is also a ministry. It's a church which speaks of community, which speaks of worshipping together, which speaks of a whole lot of connectedness. But it is also a ministry. God has planted us in this place, at this time, in this nation, with these people and these giftings and these anointings for a ministry purpose. And we do community along the way, but, but we, we are here for a ministry purpose. And therefore we... We sow with unrelenting faith into the ministry. Since we have received this ministry, we don't lose momentum in this thing, but we are responsible. Because God, God, the scorecard, did you exercise faith towards the ministry God has given you? And that, that's how ministry dies. You, know, you, you have a ministry of hospitality, and, and faith disappears out of this thing. Maybe you, you run a connect group and faith goes out of this thing and it's like, what am I doing? And there is a loss of heart in this thing because we've lost sight of the ministry that he has given to us. Can you understand what I'm saying? We're responsible. He will, the, the, the scorecard says, what did you do with the ministry that I gave to you? God gave you a ministry of worship leading. And the people were unresponsive, so I lost heart. God gave you, Daphne, a ministry of exhortation and encouragement. 
and the people didn't rise, so I lost heart. But it's faith towards him who has given the ministry that I know in whom I have believed. Therefore, I do not lose heart in these things, but I sow unrelentingly. What ministry has God given you? Do not lose heart, responsible for it. And part of the sowing that we do into the ministry that we have received does look financial. And we've been trying to have a business, a family business meeting for the last three weeks or so, and for a whole host of reasons, it has never happened. And I think it's never happened because it's not really about business, it's about this. It's about understanding, developing a culture of responsibility which will sustain a culture of freedom in our midst. And, and, and please, if, if you're a visitor here, you, this is, there's, there's no secrets in this thing, but understand that this, this is maybe a little bit of a family moment in talking about this. We had, a, we had a family business meeting back in March, I think beginning of March, and we put up some graphs and pictures and whatever, if you're here, um, which basically showed the tight financial situation that we have historically been in. This is, this is not a sudden crisis. This is, a, this is an ongoing kind of situation. So I was last week going to show another picture which basically says it hasn't really got any better. You know, that, was, that was all the picture was going to say. We talked about it then, but three, four months down the road, we're actually in the same place. We, we uh, need around about, our break-even point is around about 300,000 rand a month to keep this place running in terms of salaries and electricity and the coffee shop and, and all this stuff. That's, that's the basic cost of not doing very much. That's just kind of being here. Uh, the last time I looked, the month we do kind of a running 30-day income, we, that was running at about 250. So we are on a, currently on a deficit of about 50,000. And we have no reserves. So that makes life really, really exciting, if you can imagine that. And then, and, then, and then the lawnmower breaks down, and we can't cut the grass. Unfortunately, it's winter, but it's like, goodness me. So it's, it's like crazy, crazy zone, because surely we have a mandate to feed nations, and we can't mend the lawnmower. You know, this, is, this is ridiculous stuff. You know, what's, what is the space that we are living in? And, and I want us to understand what we're talking about is, this is not about taking up an offering to fix something. This is about a structural issue. Structurally, we need to position ourselves as a church that is no longer under this cloud of not enough. We, 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 it, is, it is hugely inappropriate and unhelpful for us to live under that cloud. And it, it is us as a church, it is us as a people. And we need to break. If something is that worth breaking? I want us to break that this morning. You know, if 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 I have a breaker anointing, let's break that. That would be a really good thing to break. But it but it is a faith. What I'm what I'm saying to us today is not now now we've got to all redeem the situation. We've got to rescue this. We've got to we've got to get enough money in. That's that's not the responsibility. 
Remember what we said, the responsibility is to believe. So, so the charge is not, please, will someone come and rescue us? The charge is, please, can we all assume the responsibility of faith in this thing? That, God, we believe you to be the God of abundance in our midst and not the God of not enough. Faith looks like something. Here's the deal. That faith for God to bring us as a church out of a place of not enough into a place of abundance really does look like something. The exercise of that faith looks like tithing. That is the expression which says, okay, here is my faith in this thing that I tithe into this church. And I know that many, many of you are already engaged in that process of tithing, and that is fantastic. But if we are going to walk into the space that God has for us, that means all of us. Every one of us needs to be in that space. And this really, really, really is a faith step. For this reason, Chris, Chris Fallison put it brilliantly. I was listening to a message of his. He was talking about tithing the other day. And he, he says, tithing is not giving 10%. That's not tithing. Tithing is giving the first 10%. And that makes all the difference in the world. It doesn't take faith to give 10% after we've paid everything else. And if there's anything left over, let's do this. That doesn't take faith. What takes faith is to give the first 10%. Why does that take faith? Because there's this fear in the back of our head which says, but there won't be enough. So this is why we're going to break the fear of not enough. Because our faith ownership of the ministry that God has given us as a church looks like that. It looks like saying, I'm going to step out of my personal fear of not enough in order to release over the church an abundance and a capacity to do the ministry that God has called us to. We have an apostolic mandate to feed nations. So therefore, individually, we need to own our personal aspect of that responsibility, which is saying, I will step out of that place. I will break that thing over me. God has given us something amazing in this place. Really, this is, this is beautiful what God has given us here. But I want us to own it together and say, this, this is ours. We treasure this thing, we honor it, and we, we desire this thing to multiply and to fulfill every purpose God has for us. I wonder if the musos can come back. I don't have a particular song, but if you can give us some, some background music, I think that would be really, really, really helpful. And I'd like to invite us to stand. And I want to pray with us just to, can we break this thing? Can we own a sense of personal responsibility thanks for listening we'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode you can connect with us on facebook or leave a review on our podcast